Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Say it loud, Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Just a thought, just a thought. It's my opinion. It's just a thought, just a thought. Get out your all right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. And I'm grateful and very, very excited to be chatting with my next guest. His name is Tariq Daniels. He's an author, playwright, and the founder and executive director of What's in the Mirror. He's also a mental health and HIV justice activist, the black queer feminist, and healing justice community organizer. In other words, he's a very important person who loves to help and heal others. Tariq, thank you so much for joining Just a Thought with Sheree Nicole. Yes, Sheree, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, have this conversation with you. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here. And one of the things, you know, that we often talk about COVID, COVID, COVID. We all have conversations about COVID, but you deal in an area with COVID that a lot of us aren't talking about. And that's as it, as it relates to those who are HIV positive. So you yourself are openly positive, I guess you could say in that term. What has been your experience um, in dealing with it, this pandemic, especially early on when we didn't really know what this virus was and what it could potentially do to people? Yes. Yeah, so um, I also work at a sexual health clinic. I run a couple of clinics here in Austin, Texas. And like when we first, you know, when COVID first hit and, you know, patients, you know, at first wasn't coming in, we started having telehealth. Then eventually we started like opening our doors to have patients come in and do labs and stuff. And I'll have a few um, HIV positive patients come in and really talk about the anxiety that they were having around COVID, you know, like going to the doctor's office and you got to take your temperature and you can't come in, you know, only a few people are allowed in the lobby at a time. And, you know, the idea that, you know, they were also going through, you know, isolation, being at home. And so when we think about HIV and its impact on the Black community, right, it has been, um, you know, one of the greatest pandemics, you know, health pandemics ever. And then we know how it evolved in being a Black black person's problem, right? You know, like one out of two Black men who sleep with men will most likely get HIV in their lifetime. And, you know, kind of halfway through the year, if we were paying attention to the news, COVID became a black person's problem. Yes. <laughs> you know, they were saying like black people were, you know, you know, more likely to get it or more likely to die from, you know, getting COVID. And it really just all went around racial inequities and in our um and medical mistrust we have in public health, right? Yeah. Why do all these things become a black person's problem? Mm. And so that was a very, very uh big correlation between kind of living with HIV that pandemic and then living during COVID-19 pandemic. Like, why is it always the black person's problem at the end of the day? I mean, we know, but that conversation just doesn't happen um, enough, in my opinion. I agree with you. And we talk about the problem and it's it, we got to move to problem solving. Right. How do we do that? How are you doing that 
And how do you think we as a society overall, especially as we're moving into a new presidency, we're in a new year, what are some things that we just need to be doing as a collective to ensure that people who are HIV positive, whether it's COVID related or not, are getting the type of support that they need? Well, yeah, I think, you know, watching um, Joe Biden get swearing, sworn in the other day and, you know, looking at him becoming like what the first president to declare um, to like call out white, white supremacists. Yeah. You know, in an inaugural speech. I think that one of the things I got from that is really started to have that conversation around medical mistrust that black people have in public health. You know, we we have to address, you know, racial inequities and, um, you know, poor outcomes that black people go through. You know, I remember, did you see that video that went viral with the black doctor that was in the hospital? Yes, uh, that eventually died, the lady of COVID? Yes, yes. I, did see that. I did see that. That was crazy. That, but it's the conversations that is not had, like last year, all these institutions were declaring racism as a public health crisis everybody mm-hmm. was doing it you know even at my clinic i had to write a public statement about it but like you said what was next for that conversation right and i feel like really starting to address and omit and acknowledge the wrongdoing that has happened to black people in this country black folks don't like to get tested for hiv and they have really good reasons not to yeah the history has shown it when you have the president of the American Public Association, Public Health Association, declaring racism as a public health issue. But then we have, we spend a lot of dollars trying to get people tested or spend a lot of dollars trying to figure out how to get black people in HIV care. And I feel like it starts off by acknowledging the wrongdoing that the system has done to black people and acknowledging yeah. that we have the right to be a little skeptical, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, even around COVID-19, you know, I don't really get into the business of shaming black folks that ask questions about the vaccine. Um, for me, getting the vaccine is not a particularly uh, a, a option that I should not get. You know, I should get right. it. You know, I already have a compromised immune system. But when people bring up the conversation around, you know, you know, feeling like they might not get it, I don't really shame them about that because history has proven that you should, you know, really get more information, you know, yeah. and don't just take everything at face value. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And and let me ask you about in your own experience, um, when you found out that you were positive, were you were you regularly getting tested or did you get to a point where there were some things physically going on where you say, hey, something's wrong. Let me get checked out because that mistrust thing is, is a is a really key point to what you're saying. A lot of us, we don't like to go to the doctor. We don't want to get a right. flu shot. We don't want to get tested for anything, whether it's HIV or whatever. We don't want to get our blood drawn. We don't want to go get physical. So you know what I'm saying? So like what drew you to the point to be responsible for your own health? And can you kind of speak to when you found out you were positive, what were some of the steps that you that you took to kind of be able to get yourself in a place where you're like, hey, yeah, I'm HIV positive, but I can still live an amazing quality of life. And this is how I plan to do it. Well, I think I had been educated in a way that once I did find out my status and that I was HIV positive, it, it wasn't, I knew it wasn't a death sentence, but I also suffered from the stigma, like this HIV stigma in communities, and especially black communities, is probably the number one killer, right? We know yeah. in 2021, we have PrEP, we have PEP, 
We have HIV uh, medicine. I just saw an article yesterday that they just the FDA just approved uh, um, injection, a 30 day injection uh, for HIV for people living with HIV versus to having to take a pill every day. So we have medical, you know, um, advancements happening as we speak, as this interview is going right now. But the thing, you know, to go back to your question, the thing that's still really impacting our community negatively is the stigma, you know, that, you know, we have around sex, you know, in general. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. stigma that we <laughs> that we have around um, discrimination of LGBTQIA plus people. So we look at HIV as a, a queer thing. So that automatically labels it and puts the stigma on um, HIV when we know one out of 48 Black women will get HIV in their lifetime. And most of them we can, cons- you know, assume could be heterosexual women, right? Mm-hmm. And so that stigma right there, you know, why can't a black straight woman uh, not go through that? And that's because of the stigma that we've put on HIV. And so for me, I did have the tools already being a person in the community advocating and then being a person that um, understands. Right. But again, stigma creeped in, creep on me and I had to go through therapy. I had to um, figure out what was next for me. You know, it impacted me in ways that I couldn't imagine, even with the knowledge, because I was still worried about the stigma. I was still Mm -hmm. worried about, you know, how people would look at me, you know, how would the world respond to me? I'm already black. I'm already queer. And then now that I have this chronic illness, HIV, which at one point was a death sentence um, on me is, you know, it was just a, it, it becomes a lot. So I definitely think community and um, I, I relied on my community and I relied on therapy and ancestral work to really kind of be able to not only live through my own experience with HIV, but then be able to be strong enough to talk about it publicly and be um, a voice or not just a voice, be a little bit more, have a little bit more visibility yeah. of, of those living with HIV because the stigma is it's killing. It's still killing our young black men out here. And, and it's interesting that you say stigma, stigma, stigma. And with that, I think mental health, mental health, mental health. And, you know, let's just stick on on black men right now and let's stick on black men who are who are HIV positive. And we mm-hmm. talk about the mental implications that happen when somebody goes through, through an experience like that. So. What what can we be doing as a collective? Because I think about our communities and how a lot of times mental health facilities are taken away and all of these opportunities that people have to heal and get better, they're gone. They, they get rid of them. They shut them down. So from a communal standpoint, what do we need to be doing to ensure that we're protecting and aiding our brothers who are going through this in a way that helps them lead productive and whole lives? Well, definitely, I think you kind of stated before we even um, start um, started this interview and the idea that humanity trumps everything. You don't have to have the same experiences, life experiences to have sympathy or to have love for someone else. You don't have to agree with everything that a person does to be able to, you know, support them or mm-hmm. give them a helping hand and love them. Yeah. And, and be and fight against discrimination. And, and it could be in your household. It could be, you know, with your loved one. It could be with your husband, your wife. Those things matter because as long as, as long as we continue to perpetuate the stigmas, 
around mental health and whatever intersectionality that you know can go across where we're talking about black women in mental health black men in mental health now we're talking about mental health right but let's stop talking about it more and just do it like if you want to go see a therapy go see a therapist if you want to do more mental wellness practices like going to yoga or maybe a reiki master or whatever you know kind of sparks your interest then do it right we're not you know we're not limited to those things because of what we've been through or not having access to it. And we need to demand access. We as black people need to demand access to mental wellness services. And I think that's kind of where we are right now. We're done just saying, you know, black people don't talk about mental health. So now black people are talking about mental health. Now it's time for black people to get the services that we deserve and erase the stigma that comes along with it. And I feel like black men, I I love this um, revolution around allowing black men to be emotional, allowing black men to be able to express themselves because a lot of times, you know, they don't have that, you know, that, that avenue or that, that resource to express themselves. And um, I'm just a champion for that. I'm just a champion. I feel like we all can do our part in that way. And it's interesting you said that because, you know, earlier you were talking about how you were kind of equipped with the tools prior to getting tested for HIV. Like you pretty much knew the the run of the mill. You didn't necessarily mm-hmm. feel this air of uncomfortability that a lot of people sometimes may feel. Mm-hmm. And on, with that same thing being said, let's talk about the emotional side, as you just mentioned, where mm-hmm. you were you fostered in an environment that allowed you to express yourself emotionally as a, as a black male? Or did you come into something like that a little bit later on in your life? I would say a little bit later on in my life, I I had to learn, I had to experience, I had to uh, live, (laughs) you know, life. Yeah. And, you know, and I I feel like I had a great support system in my family. Um, But when you become an adult male in this country, right, the, the world is different. You know, it's a lot of variables against us. Black people, you know, black men. And then again, if we we talk about those intersectionalities. We talk about disabled Black people, um, you know, trans Black people, all these different intersections that and identities we may have. And I feel like um, I really had to just declare that that's what I wanted. I, I had to know that I deserve to be able to live a, a emotional life. I, I deserve to be able to talk about my feelings and be able to express them and not be labeled because of that or not a black thing. It is a black thing to be able to express your emotions. And I think like having these conversations on like a platform like yours where people can see people talking about be, being comfortable with being able to express themselves because a lot of times we just didn't do it you know, you know, generational trauma that, you know, kind of prevented us from being able to be open with our emotions. And, and I feel like we had a, we, it's 2021 and a lot of things, 2020 opened the doors for us. And I feel like now is the time, you know, it really is. I agree with you. And, and I've never, you're the first person and I'm not even, I'm not even lying when I say this, that I've been told is a black queer feminist. 
Mm-hmm. I need you to break that down for me. I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm very much black girl magic, woman <laughs> empowerment, black woman, go, go, go. I'm very much about that. And so I was really intrigued by that being a part of your advocacy and your story. So for those coming in, like I was coming in, who might not be familiar with what a black queer feminist is, can you break that down for me? Yeah, and I, and I take that title very loosely, right? Because I don't want, um, to overshadow the women who have done the work to be feminist or the women who might not even like enough, that terminology, right? So mm-hmm. I, I definitely want to say that. But again, it, it's more than just being uh, what they call an advocate for things. You have to be, or more than an ally, you actually have to be an advocate, right? Like if you're saying that you believe in women's rights and women equality, then you have to make sure that you're setting opportunities for women to lead, for women to be at the table. Um, as an artist and a playwright, you know, I strive to encourage myself to make sure that I have leading women, you know, leading stories that, and allow them to tell their own stories as actors and, you know, directors or producers. So you have to not just say that you believe in these things, you actually have to put the work to practice. And that's kind of what I strive in. My sister, I, I created an organization, What's in the Mirror, and I am the founder and executive director, but my sister sits as my board president. And she is a black woman that I believe that can lead our organization to the next steps. And I just believe in putting women in those positions and advocating for those women to um, be successful and give them the tools, not, you know, set them up and not give them the resources that you might had access to making sure that is equitable, you know, opportunity. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of where, where I align myself with being a black queer feminist is that um, women should lead this world and I'm, and I'm ready to live in a world led by women for sure. I see. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. (laughs) And to that point, I look at like male, black male and black female and really male or female. But let's go black men, black women for a second. I look at what we see on both ends as a cyclic thing. I think we pour into each other and we pull from each other, you know, very equally. It may look different, but we are the result of the other side. So with that being said, where do you think or what do you think? black men need to be doing to be of better support to black women? And what do you think black women can or should be doing to be of better support to black men? Well, I, I think really if we could start by acknowledging our blackness and what that means first and acknowledging that intersectionality of being black goes across identity, goes across interests, goes across socioeconomic status, you know, we're not all the same. And mm-hmm. I feel like because we advocate for blackness so much, we try to put ourselves in this bubble that every black man should be this way mm-hmm. and every black woman should be this way. And we don't really honor our differences and honor the beauty that we are not the same just because we advocate for blackness. We get, you know, we don't want to get law, our identities lost in that. And so I, I think if we start there, acknowledging the black man being an array of personalities, array of identities, array of strengths and weaknesses, and the same for women, right? We, we look at our women to be what, you know, traditionally has been depicted of what black women should be. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age, let's embrace 
the 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 array of what it means to be a black woman. Every black woman has experienced different things in their lives. They come down from different paths, um, different upbringings. You know, have different unique attributes to this world. And I just think we as black people, what I'm trying to strive to do is really start honoring people, black people specifically, individually as this black person and this black woman and what the, the gifts they bring to the world. And I think we, we wouldn't get caught up on identities. We wouldn't get caught on whether someone is gay or trans and, or bi or someone is um, a lawyer versus someone, you know, a trash man or someone who's going to get a Birkin or someone who you know, <laughs> likes to, you know, to shop at the, the Goodwill, right? Like black people, we, we do all different types of stuff. We're not yeah. all the same. And uh, I think once we start celebrating that and we've been, you know, shackled for so long in that, right. We've only been yeah. black, you know, black for so long. So I think, Vice versa, if the black men start, you know, loving the black woman wholly and individually and vice versa for the black woman to love the black man wholly and individually. Well said. I love it. Um, As an author and a playwright, I want to ask you, where does Tariq bleed onto the pages? How do you how intentional are you in your art to make sure that there's still traces of you that we can find if we look deep enough? Or is it very, hey. This is my art. I put what I put into it is my heart, but this is this is totally kind of separate from the man that I am. Like, how do you integrate your art with your heart? In other words, honestly, it's it's, it's all already there. I don't even have to integrate it. Most stories that I like to write about is definitely things I've experienced, whether it's been on a personal level or maybe through um, my experiences through someone else. You know, being on the outside looking in. Um, most of everything I write about is, is me, you know, letting, you know, healing, writing mm-hmm. is a healing practice for me. And so I love telling stories that even if I create it in a way where it's fiction, you know, um, it is truth in it. Everything I write has come from some truth. And so it is definitely a healing journey for me. And I, I love creating stories. And I love just taking the time to like remember about that time that maybe it was pain involved in that. Yeah. But today is going to be a celebration because, you know, hopefully I can sell this book or hopefully it's going to be a great production on the stage. So it's like, you know, taking pain and um, or happiness and joy, right? Taking pain and joy and recreating that um, to share with the world. And that's what I believe that was writing is, is there for um, preserving your experiences and sharing it with the world. Absolutely. You mentioned truth in your response. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you, you know, what is your advice to people who are still on that journey where they're not necessarily comfortable with either exploring, expressing, or accepting their truth? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess first start off maybe asking or trying to figure out the why. You know, a lot of times we try to, we, we jump ship. You know, we, we want to do the work, but not really figuring out why the work is needed in the first place. And so I feel like if they're not ready, that's fine. But maybe start working on why you're not ready. If it's because you haven't, you, you're not ready to start that healing process, then see what's stopping you from mm-hmm. wanting to go there. Um, you're not, you know, ready to face fear. Um, 
kind of do the work to see what's, what's keeping you from going up to the other side of fear where greatness lies. So I think if we started to um, really focus on the things that could be blocking you from going there, that's a good start. But sometimes not rushing it, you know, mm-hmm. like truth is, is the, it comes when it comes, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. not something you could just make happen. If you're not ready to live in your truth, that's okay. Find a place that you are able to thrive in. And then when you're ready to get there, um, I think it'll happen. I think we all have that in there. We all know, you know, when it's that time. Love it. And you mentioned your organization. We talked a little bit about it um, a little earlier. What's in the mirror? What are your goals, you know, moving forward? How do you want to see your organization evolve over the next two, five, even 10 years? What, what, are, you, what are you excited about? What are you aiming for as, as we move forward? Yeah, yeah. So, like, we like to consider ourselves the liaison between the community and the clinicians. So right now we have our Connected Care Initiative where we're connecting Black people, queer people, disabled people, trans people to um, culturally affirming therapists or wellness practitioners. And we're doing it for free. And we're also paying up to three sessions for those people um, if they need the financial backing. And so it's kind of going back to earlier when we say that we're talking about mental health. I'm ready to do the work. I'm ready to create access for Black folks to explore like just take the chance like i did reiki the other a couple of weeks ago and i and it was like virtual and i was with this lady in like brooklyn and i'm in austin texas and she was telling me like she gave me all these instructions like i had to like light a candle like do all these things virtually and then she was like speaking to me through the spirituality and it it was very cool right i felt i found very i found peace in that work and i you know it was weird it was weird. I didn't know if it was something I was going to like, but I was like, I'm going to try it out, you know? And that night I felt very, very peaceful. Um, and so I think with What's in the Mirror, we want to continue to create access for people to have those experiences. And we don't want, you know, social economic status to be an issue, money to be an issue. We want to be able to say, hey, if you want to go, let's make a way to go. And we definitely want to continue to... Um, use art to, to, you know, spread the awareness and the message. You know, I do a lot of black box theater. I would love to, you know, take on a, a huge theater and, you know, do a play around HIV or mental health and continue to make people aware um, through art. Because people love art. And I yeah. think the, um, that's how we can impact humanity. We we'll continue to push art forward and tell stories that usually don't get told in mainstream America. I totally agree. I've I've learned so much. Like you're fun because I'm sitting here just like soaking everything in. So <laughs> I just thank you for your transparency and and sharing with me. And my hope is that whoever is listening, um, whether they share your experience or not, can uh, come to some form of understanding that they didn't have before they before they press play. So Tariq, I want to thank you so much. How can people stay locked in with you and get more information or even get assistance if they need it? Yeah, so if you're in the Texas area, for sure, because of, um, you know, license and stuff like that, we can definitely, the Connect to Care um, initiative is available for you. So you can go to whatsinamerit.org, W-H-T-S-I-N-T-H-E-M-I-R-R-R, 
rror.org. And we also relaunching our, our Hills project um, this year, which will um, include our biweekly um, support group for those living with HIV and those who are advocating the fight against HIV and mental health stigma. And we're going to have our virtual festival this year sometime in um, August, our, our Hills Festival. So just look out for us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at What's in the Mirror or my personal Instagram, Mr. Telltales. Thank you so much. You guys, I've had I've had a blast. Like I just I just love learning. So this was this was a great, great time. Tariq, stay safe and continue to do the good work that you're doing. And I, I'm grateful that there are people like you who are really adamant about helping their fellow man in their community. So I wish you all the best. And uh, let me know when you got something else popping off so we can bring you on back down to the best of the <laughs> Okay, I would love to come back and again thank you for um, having me and thank you for telling this story we need more you're, you're doing the work this is the work so thank you so much my pleasure thanks so much for listening this is Just a Thought hosted and produced by yours truly Sharina Cole in association with Sharina Cole Media and the Say It Loud Podcast Network Just a Thought is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Radio.com. And make sure that you subscribe, share, and rate us. And also, tell a friend. You can follow the Just a Thought podcast on Instagram at Just a Thought Show and on Twitter at Just a Thought Win. That's W-I-N. You can also follow me, Sheree Nicole, on Instagram and Twitter. Same handle, Sheree underscore Nicole. S-H-A-R-I underscore N-Y. C-O-L-E. It's just a thought, just a thought. It's my opinion. It's just a thought, just a thought. Get out your feelings. Say it loud, Podcast Network, where black and brown voices truly matter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.